This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by a physician leader, uh, Banner Health Chief Clinical Officer, Dr. Marjorie Bessel. Uh, Dr. Bessel, Marjorie, take a moment and introduce yourself, then I'll ask you a number of questions about coronavirus, what you see, some of your thoughts, what we should be doing, and more. Marjorie? Excellent. Thank you so much for this invite to participate. I'm Dr. Marjorie Bessel. I'm Chief Clinical Officer at Banner Health. Banner Health is a large healthcare system. We're located in the southwest of the United States. Our primary locale of operations is in Arizona, but we operate in six other states. I'm also, by way of clinical background, uh, trained as an internist and have spent most of my clinical time as a hospitalist. It's nice to be with you here today. Thank you so much. Banner Health, magnificent system. I think the largest system in Arizona and one, one of the larger not-for-profit systems in the country. Great, great system. How did you end up as chief clinical officer and how different are your expectations of the role than now that we're in the midst of this coronavirus versus what you might have expected? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, I ended up uh, as chief clinical officer through a, a number of different opportunities that I have with Banner Health. I've been here for 14 years and started out as chief medical officer for some of our other facilities, including a go live of a brand new Greenfield build facility, which was a lot of fun and implementing electronic medical records and things of that nature. And then I I rose up and uh, had some larger roles, uh, regional roles, a vice president role, and uh, two years ago was successful in being able to get to the top level physician role within our organization, which is chief clinical officer. I think when anybody goes to that level of uh, position, you always hope and dream that you will be able to have a tremendous and amazing impact on the health and well-being of the people in the communities that you serve. And that's always been my aspiration, and it guides me each and every day as I prioritize my work. And the pandemic is, of course, something that extrapolates that at a level that I think most of us never would have envisioned in our entire careers that we ever would have been involved in. And yet some of the very same principles that we follow each and every day as we do that type of work, prioritizing work, trying to focus on how we can keep healthcare provided to those that need it most, um, both for those that need preventative care as well as those that need care from injury and illness helps drive me each and every day. This particular event um, is bringing all of the skills and those of the amazing people that I work with each and every day all together, but at a pace that is completely unprecedented, something that we probably never could have created a scenario for, even in tabletop exercises. And yet each and every day, each and every hour, each and every minute, I'm just seeing the amazing talent of individuals banding together to deliver that very important outcome that we all know that we're hoping for. How can we stop the spread of this virus long enough, flatten that curve so that we can get to a place where we have either treatment or vaccine so that we can save the most number of people possible from this terrible disease that we're all facing? Thank you. And you, as you look at that and you reflect on the Banner Health System, Banner Health System, yeah, I remember when, when Peter Fine went to lead the Banner Health System, it was a long time ago now, magnificent leadership. How important is it that you have a deep leadership team and a great bench when you face this kind of crisis? How important is that as you, get, as you, as you prepare and get ready to do battle with a pandemic we've not seen in our lifetime? Yeah, it's absolutely critical to have a very deep and wide structure as you're trying to both prepare and then ultimately as we all start to experience COVID-19 in our communities, respond and execute upon those plans. 
In addition to that, uh, the other thing that is very much coming to the forefront for all of us is where all these deep gems and hidden talent live within our broad organizations. Each and every day, I'm just absolutely astounded by new individuals that rise to the occasion, come up with amazing perspectives, creative uh, models of how we can respond to pain points. And it's just an incredible joy to watch some of that talent emerge in areas that you might not have had great line of sight to in your usual and customary, but have incredibly deep appreciation for as those gems emerge out from this crisis. And, and when you look at that, give us a couple of examples of things in leadership that you've seen that, that are, or it does not from leadership at sort of a top C-suite level, but leadership any place that you've seen that you've just been impressed with people stepping up creatively in a professional way just to help or, or, or to lead or provide ideas. Give us a couple of examples if you could think of any, you know, offhand. You know, there are so many examples of creativity and leaders emerging out of our organization, especially in some of those non-clinical or non-traditional clinical areas. So one of those I'll, I'll talk about here, we have uh, embarked on a creative arm of our organization to really help us with innovation and healthcare delivery. And those individuals have been doing a myriad of different things pre-COVID-19, things like um, activities that help our patients stay more connected, how we can message with them while they're in emergency departments, how we can support women during pregnancies through different social media platforms. And it was that very team that we asked uh, in our EOC structure to come into the space and see what they could deliver for us. Look broadly at the situation that we are faced with and bring their creative skills to the forefront. And so we've been able to do some really amazing things in that space. That team has been able to figure out how to use sterile drapes that we normally would use in the OR for surgical procedures and make surgical masks. Certainly we know that there are other organizations that are doing the same, and I don't want to say that, that's the, that we're the only place or the first place to come up with that idea, but it's amazing how they've been able to operationalize that. We have volunteers from the community who are also doing some of that work, and we have a production rate now of surgical masks of about 7,000 masks per day being produced to keep our healthcare workers safe. One of the things that I'm known for talking about in our organization is that we're going to try and save as many lives as we possibly can, and we will do so by keeping our healthcare workers safe. And as we all know, there's nothing more important right now than the safety of the healthcare workers by appropriate PPE use. And so that's just one example of many examples that we have of people being very creative and also marshalling resources in non-traditional ways, using volunteerism in the community to help our healthcare workers be the safest that they possibly can as they care for these patients who have significant and burdened, uh, significant and burdened uh, illness from COVID-19. I think that one of the things that you mentioned, and, and I, I think it, it, it can't be said, I, I, I see humility in it. What you said is, look, we're not the only place doing this, but, but it doesn't matter that you're not the only place doing it. it. It's so critical that people are doing it, finding new creative ways to develop personal protective equipment, the PPE, for your team and for your staff. Because if you don't protect healthcare workers, we're basically all done. So, so the fact that like you're doing it, it's magnificent. Yes, we're not the only ones doing it. But it, but it doesn't mean it's just not fantastic. So I, I, I love those thoughts, Dr. Bessel. Thank you so much, and just great recognition of what you see going on and how important it is. Um, another another question for you. 
what should providers be doing now? And providers throughout the country in all different spots. In New York, they're already getting hit with, hit, hit with waves. In Chicago, not as much so. New Orleans are preparing for it. Tell us what's going on in Arizona and, and what providers should be doing you know, if, they've, if they're not yet at a spot where they've been crashed with patients so badly. What, what should providers be doing now? Yeah, providers uh, can be doing a lot of things right now. And I would just like to also point out that Banner Health operates in six different states. And although Arizona appears to be not hit significantly compared to many of those other hard hit cities and states that you mentioned, we do have quite a bit of activity happening in northern Colorado, where we have three hospitals and other parts of um, assets that deliver care up their ASCs, clinics, et cetera. And so they are for us, for Banner Health, at the front edge of the curve and we're learning so much um, alongside them. And they're also benefiting from the rich and deep experiences and infrastructure that we have at Banner Health. And so with the advice that I have is based on uh, both what I see happening worldwide within this country, but also within our own health system in Colorado who are experiencing uptick, a significant uptick in cases right at this time. The advice is some of the same advice that I think many of us got when we were in medical school and underwent a residency training, which is a couple of the following tidbits. Stay evidence-based. If you follow the science, you will land better. We need to understand that in order to save the most lives possible, we're going to have to follow evidence. And even at some times, unfortunately, we're also going to have to acknowledge defeat. It's also incredibly important, and we talk about this a lot um, prior to COVID-19, about the burnout rate among physicians and other providers. It's incredibly important at this time where we've got social distancing, an incredible workload coming our way, and the stress that that brings along with it to stay healthy. You're going to need to stay healthy at home, but you're also going to need to stay healthy at work. You need to follow the PPE practices that are in your locale. I believe every health system is at their best trying to follow the WHO and the CDC guidelines for PPE, but it's also important for all of us to recognize that PPE is going to have to be dictated by your local approaches because your local approaches incorporate WHO and CDC approaches, but also are doing real-time supply availability. And that may put you up or down the tier crisis conservation modes. And so you have to follow your PPE local practices. Those that are in administrative positions like myself absolutely want to keep you safe but we're gonna do so by making sure that we conserve our very precious resource of PPE in the best way possible to keep, you, to keep you safe. The other thing that I think is so important for healthcare providers to understand is that we can be amazing influencers in society. We are a trusted source of information and we can bring many of those messages to light for individuals who can help us flatten this curve. As an influencer, as a trusted influencer, as a healthcare provider, we can help continue to hammer home the message of social distancing. This country is going to need to flatten the curve and we must do so by social distancing. We just don't have a lot of other armamentarium at this time to thwart the impact of COVID-19 disease. Self-isolation for those that have symptoms is another important message that we can bring out there to the community, making sure that we're all staying at home when we feel ill and following exquisite respiratory etiquette, and of course, always washing our hands. It's incredibly important for us to carry the message as healthcare providers that those that are mildly symptomatic 
do not need to seek out care. There is no treatment for this disease, and we can help hammer that message home for those out there in the community so they don't have to be anxious. They don't have to be anxious about the fact that they might not be able to come in and see their provider in person and know that by self-isolating at home, if they have mild disease, that they're likely going to do very, very well. We know that 80% of individuals who get this particular virus are actually going to do well, and they are not going to need specific care from us. Thank you very, very much. And so there's been so much discussion. And of course, we're in a 24-7 news cycle. We're in a very adversarial news cycle between um, you know, Republicans, Democrats. It's just it's really an insane period of time to watch TV. And all of us are stuck. Many of us in many states are stuck, stuck home watching TV. Any advice for government? Any, any advice for what government should be doing now? Yeah, my, I, I implore the government uh, at the national level, at the state level, and at all the local levels where we practice to help us flatten the curve. We need to learn from other countries, and the resounding message that we're hearing from other countries is do social distancing. We must do social distancing early, way before you think you need to, in order to flatten the curve. If we don't flatten the curve, our healthcare systems locally, at the state level, and possibly even across the entire country will be crushed. There is only so much surge capacity that any healthcare system can have, regardless of all the planning that we're going to do, regardless of our intents to treat everybody that we possibly can. At some point, demand can outstrip our supply. Social distancing, I will admit, is somewhat of, quote, I would say a blunt, end quote, tool, but it's really about all that we have right now. In the United States, we have an extreme lack of testing. So our ability to do other types of activities that you might implore about um, as far as being able to do any type of containment have already been far outstripped. So we must do social distancing so that we can preserve the healthcare system so that we can meet the surge and the demand that is coming our way. I also want to say that for government officials, healthcare industry absolutely understands the counterpart to social distancing and the economic impact that that will have and that we know it already is having on local businesses and other impacts that it will have on unemployment. But there's an impact also if as a society and even at a local level, we outstrip max surge capacity of healthcare systems, there will also be a significant impact from that. Yes. So thank you. So hardcore social distancing, I love your acknowledgement. It is a blunt instrument. And as people figure this out better and more clearly, whether they'll be able to allow some people to go back to work, who go back to work, they can go back to work with social distancing, how you do it, and so forth. But I think that's exactly you know, a very clear statement on it, sort of a blunt instrument, and, and need all the governments to sort of get behind the proper amount of social distancing in every community and, and so forth to protect our health systems. Uh, which ultimately protect all of us. Um, how does this all end, Dr. Bessel? How, does, how do we get to the other side of this? Yeah, so there's lots of models out there. Um, there's the positive approach to this of what we think best case scenario is, and then there's certainly a lot written about of what the worst case scenario will be. I'm going to try and stay in how I think either of those play out. And I think that, you know, in my opinion, and this is my opinion only, that the end game is that we will see much of the following. We are going to see many, many heroes. They're going to be in the clinical space and they're going to be in the non-clinical space. And we will be celebrating and recognizing those heroes for years and probably decades to come when we get on the other side of this. 
we're going to see absolute scientific wonderful activity as they race to the finish line to either find us a reputable significant impact treatment as well as their race to find us a vaccine. The curve um, and the suppression of all of this is probably 12 to 18 months out. So the end game is quite a long ways away and it kind of fits into my other statement that I talked about with the social distancing requirement that we have to be ready for long and um, difficult interventions in order to get to the other part of this. It's a very, very fluid situation. It's a virus that none of us have seen. But at the end of this, I also think that we're going to learn that for those of us that are in healthcare and those that are in industries that support, support healthcare, we're going to learn that our true calling is really going to come out and be represented by aspects of population health that will be applicable to help us deliver healthcare in a slightly different and maybe a more accelerated way from what we were working on before COVID-19 became a reality. I think some of those things that we'll find out about will be that we really can do phone visits. We actually can deliver care effectively through tele in a much broader way than we thought was possible. We'll need to continue to focus on preventative care and vaccines for other illnesses besides this as a huge impact on population health. And that we'll learn to streamline the amount of time that Americans or individuals spend trying to get care. Things like doing medication refills in a better way, making sure mail orders are being expedited, really avoiding emergency um, department visits when not necessary, and really going to the lowest level of care needed to meet the need of an individual. When we are focused, as we are with COVID-19, we are demonstrating that we can absolutely get many, many things done quickly. I think that this will also continue to be a great example of the continued interplay between our U.S. economy and healthcare industry needs. But at the end of the day, healthcare workers are absolutely going to become heroes. The end game will be an amazing and extreme appreciation of our need for the healthcare system as a society and as a country, and that we'll all need to continually work to make sure that it's protected from an economical, a PPE, support for healthcare workers, creativity and innovation, and the discovery that we're gonna need, especially around vaccines. Well, thank you very, very much, Dr. Bassel. Just a magnificent uh, thought and statement and perspective on the entire thing. We appreciate you and what you do. We appreciate your entire team, and we greatly appreciate Banner Health and its leadership and entire, entire team. Uh, great to have you on today, Dr. Bassel. Thank you very much. Thanks, Scott.